Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. Everyone has a story. Simon was raised in Indonesia and his neighbours were headhunters. Simon shares. Yeah, Chris. Well, I was born and bred in Borneo, which is the largest island in Indonesia. And now call it, most people call it Kalimantan. My parents were missionaries amongst the Dayak people who were the headhunters. Most of the headhunting activity had been made illegal by the Indonesian government by the time I was born, but there was still quite a bit of it that went on and occurred from time to time. Um, Thankfully, mine is the original, I'm led to believe. (laughs) And my parents also worked amongst the Muslims, the Malay Muslims. Um, So we had the the headhunters on one side of the river and the Muslims on the other side of the river. And uh, Yeah, wow. I remember seeing footage of some jihadists in a canoe, canoeing across to an island armed with guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would have been in an area around Aceh, Sulawesi, yeah. uh, where there was quite a bit of um, ethnic instability. I mean, there still is now. We've heard recently um, on the news about Aceh, which is the only... Uh, province, only state in Indonesia which has um, succumbed to Sharia law. So what, as a boy, what was it like? Did you see any of the headhunter activity or did you, were you afraid? What, what sort of was going through your mind? Well, when I was around about 11, my dad took me on one of his missionary journeys and I do remember in a number of the villages that we went to, there were skulls all uh, lined up across the top of the ceilings in the longhouses, which were a way to scare scare people who were foreign and uh, also a way to demonstrate, you know, previous victories and to, you know, share trophies. So, yeah, that was a little bit scary when you were 11 and you'd sort of grown up on the stories that had never actually really kind of witnessed that. A bit different to going to a primary school in grade six and playing soccer in the Oval, right? Yeah, very different, Chris. Very, very different. And then through your teenage years, what was it like? Well, through my teenage years, I was homeschooled by my mum, but I had, you know, many, many opportunities to just head out into the bush in the afternoon. And interestingly, when I came back to Australia, I felt so, um, I guess, challenged culturally in many ways. But the main way that I was challenged was that, hey, look, everybody had fences. (laughs) <laughs> you couldn't just kind of go, all right, I want to go out into the bush for the afternoon, you know? Yeah. Maybe if you can, you know, on the farm you can, but I had the rainforest for a thousand kilometres that way and a thousand kilometres the other way and I could, you know, do anything I want. <laughs> wow. Chop down a tree, kill a snake if you want. You know, these days you kill a snake and you get fined for it. <laughs> yeah. What an incredible way to grow up. Yeah, we had monkeys and... um you know, sort of miniature hippopotamus-type little strange, well, they're called tapirs, but, you know, anyway, kind of like hippos, but not. And all, you know, hundreds and hundreds of animals just walking around the back of the house. and Walking through the house? Walking through the house too, yeah, if you didn't close your screen doors at night. Amazing. <laughs> Is there one specific incident that you can remember that really impacted on you? One? Oh, mate, there was hundreds and thousands. Yeah, I can imagine. I remember one one morning really, really early, probably around about 3.30, I was woken up by dogs barking. This, of course, was not unusual, but this particular situation was because we knew when the three of our dogs barked and they barked us 
specific way we knew why that why were they barking. So they had a certain kind of bark if it was a snake. They had a certain kind of bark if it was an intruder. And they had another kind of bark if it was like a large animal. And in this case, they were barking to alert us to a very large animal. And there was this massive boar, aggressive boar too, because some of the local people had tracked it, aggressive boar that was very, very close to our house. And so I woke up and my older brother, who was far more braver than I was, he was out there with a spear trying to stab this boar. And, uh, you know, I got out there with him. I'm yelling, Paul, come back, come back, come back. And it's turning around and it's flashing its tusks and it's grunting. And I'm like, man, my older brother's just going to get totally smashed by this thing. And anyway, um, it started running and uh, it ran and ran and my brother chased it and by this time you know a number of the local guys local native friends of ours they were chasing it and I chased it and it kind of did a bit of a you know 360 wide turn and by the time I knew it it was coming for me and so I climbed up a tree to get out of the way and um a couple of the guys that had not been real familiar with me you know they knew where we were and whatnot it was just about to, um, you know, to get a little bit light so your visibility wasn't great that you could see. And um, they came past and looked up and they said, oh, there's a monkey in the tree. And I'm like, hey, hang on, it's me. And, well, see, the thing was, as I had, when I was a kid, I had this, like, really, really long, bushy red hair. Oh, that's funny. And there's a, a very bushy monkey as well in Borneo. And... For a few split seconds, they had actually kind of misplaced things a bit and uh, thought that I was a monkey. And later on, I found out one of them was actually just about to throw his spear up. So he thought, well, if we don't get the pig, we'll get a monkey. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was a really, really scary day. <laughs> That's just one story, Chris. I've got thousands, mate. Incredible. So you're definitely someone I'll be inviting to all my parties. <laughs> so did you have a faith through all of this? Um, I was challenged from a very young age through the ministry of my parents. Uh, my dad would go and he'd risk his life often to share Jesus with those people who are often very hostile to the gospel. Some of them headhunters, some of them people who, you know, of other expressions. But on the other hand, I also saw deed gospel in my mum's ministry as a bush doctor and the sacrifices that mum made every day to bind up the brokenhearted, people who'd come to her who'd been, you know, women who'd been kicked out of their homes with three or four children, five children sometimes, by alcoholic, aggressive husbands. Um, she would bind up physically those who had been you know, wounded in accidents or worse, in fights with machetes. Um, you know, I, from a young age, saw some horrific machete wounds, um, spear wounds that my mum worked really, really hard to to bind up and to to bandage and to heal and to love these people practically. So I, uh, from a very young age, I was very inspired to, to follow in their footsteps. And uh, I feel that throughout, my life, I'd try, I've tried to do that. That's a bit of Simon's story, and today he works for Open Doors, which gives aid to persecuted people around the world. Light and life from the Salvos.